Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Former New York mayor, uh, candidate for president on the D side, billionaire Michael Bloomberg, was in the Valley this weekend with a campaign rally, a stop, if you will, that uh, uh, apparently hundreds of people came out for. Right, right. Right. Yeah. You know what? He also says that he's going to be spending a lot of time here Ooh. because he believes the White House runs through Arizona. I, th- you could just hear the crowd at that point in time. The White House the road runs to the White House, through yeah. Arizona. You're going to hear he, that's Whoa! every city you go to. The yeah, road well, you to know, the we, White House runs through Las Cruces, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think we are more in play than we probably ever have been before. So I would say buckle your safety belts. You know, we're going to have a lot of these candidates coming to Arizona, the Valley probably in particular, trying to get your vote. And I don't see that as a bad thing. But Michael Bloomberg, yeah, in the Valley on Saturday and just talking about, you know, our state and and what he hopes to do for it and pretty much just saying what most other Democratic candidates is their goal is to get rid of Donald Trump. So Bloomberg is unique in a a lot of ways. Uh, He's one of, what, two billionaires that's running and basically self-funding his campaign in many ways, right? He's just... Willing to write as much of a check as he has to. And by the way, he wrote a he had a, an ad during the Super Bowl that he paid $10 million for. Yeah, the president had ads as well. And the president prior to the Super Bowl yesterday sat down with Sean Hannity. And you could tell that Michael Bloomberg is getting in his head. Oh. Because as a candidate, you know, we saw it, you know, four years ago, as candidates would start to take a lead in the Republican primary, he would come up with names for them, right? Like Ted Cruz and Marco, little Marco Rubio and things along those lines. Nicknames. Nicknames, yeah. And we're starting to see how Michael Bloomberg is getting into the president's head. And it was evident in that interview yesterday. Take a listen. Michael Bloomberg. Uh, Very little. I just think of little. You know, now he wants a box for the debates to stand on. Okay, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. You can be short. Why should he get a box to stand on, okay? He wants a box for the debates. Okay, so the president claims that, you know, Michael Bloomberg, who is smaller in stature, yes, uh, wants a box for the debates. There's There's no no truth. Truth to that. Right. There's no truth to that. And that's exactly what Michael Bloomberg says. President lies. He lies about everything, so it shouldn't be a surprise that he said things. So. Okay, but okay. what I find interesting, yes, the the, the president has lied. <laughs> yes, the president has made up names for opponents yep. in the past. But when you've seen this happen, especially on like during the Republican primary, and you know, in in, in 2016 or in 2000, you know, 15, even when he would come up with these names, you'd be wondering like how how are they going to respond, right? Yeah. How how are they going to take the president on? And a lot of times. They didn't. People just kind of ignored it and hoped it would go away. And in fact, you know, uh, Michelle Obama, the former first lady, you know, was talking about the divisiveness of this country and the name calling and so on and so forth. And you might remember her saying this. When someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is when they go low, we go high. So will Michael think, Bloomberg yeah. go high? No. 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 We're think, starting to see evidence well, of that. And, I, and I think that they plenty of people have seen there's no value in that it gets back to the whole thing there is no currency in being a moderate there is no currency in working across an aisle there is no currency in being nice in politics, let me in go, politics, dot dot dot. No, in, in, politics, in, in, in presidential life, politics, in life, I would totally get, disagree. There's no with advantage you. to it. So I think we're starting to see something a little different. 
And what we're seeing is someone who's taking on the president with this kind of tone. What do I mean? Well, this was a statement that was released by the Bloomberg campaign in response to the president talking about, you know, Bloomberg wanting a, a, a box, box at the, the next, little. Yeah, all of those all things. That stuff. Take a listen. Bloomberg's campaign released a statement saying, quote, the president is lying. He's a pathological liar who lies about everything. His fake hair, his obesity, oh my. and his spray on tan. Well, that's and one way to respond. Yeah. His fake hair, his obesity, and his, his spray on tan. Um, low or high? Oh, but folks... It doesn't stop there. This is one of his uh, campaign spokespeople, uh, Tim O'Brien, talking about the president claiming Michael Bloomberg wants a box. Take a listen. I've been asked a lot lately because Trump has been coming after Mike so much. You know, what's it like to be in Donald Trump's head so much? And what I've said to people is when you get inside Donald Trump's head, all you're going to discover that you find there is a putter, a cheeseburger, a porn video and somebody else's credit card. Oh, gosh. And we're more than happy to (laughs) occupy that space and see him on a debate stage. Low or high? Low or high? Can I tell you, though, something... they sound like like jokes that have been written. Like I don't think he just came up with that off the top of oh, his no, head. Oh no 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 no! I think they are they... prepared, but they have somebody, some comedian, you know, John Stewart, whatever. I don't know. Somebody is writing jokes for them, and they've got them on like three by five cards. Oh, they've memorized them. They don't even and have they're them on ready. Cards anymore. The minute Trump says something, go. Here's another Trump joke where they're going to make fun of him. But what you're getting at there is a strategy. When you say that they are prepared, there is a strategy. These two individuals, the statement that was released and uh, Tim O'Brien there, these aren't individuals that have gone rogue no, in the, the they're, campaign. They're this is This is the strategy you are going to at least see from Michael Bloomberg as to how he plans on taking on President Trump. Yeah. And he has another opportunity To potentially do that, the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, has changed some of their rules when it comes to who can be on the debate stage and who can't. Remember, we've had like these huge fields of candidates. And so we've had like the A A debate, a B debate, the varsity and the JV or the the adult table or the kiddie table, whatever it is that you want. And, And even with some of the Democratic debates, they just had one debate. And if you didn't meet a certain threshold, you didn't get the debate. You didn't get to show up. Well, they started changing some of the rules. And in essence, the way they've changed the rules has opened the door for Michael Bloomberg to be on the debate stage in Vegas, February 19th. Uh-huh. And that has angered some within the Democratic Party who are like, whoa, 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 we've been playing by these rules all along. And now you're changing them to open the door for Michael Bloomberg. Yes. That's not fair. Yeah, well, I hate to break it to you that if you belong to a political party, that fair is not part of the argument, because I, I will remind you that caucuses, primaries, what do we call it in Arizona? Presidential preference election. These are not governed by law. These are not enshrined in the Constitution. These are popularity contests run by private organizations. The Democrats can change the rules. If it, they can say you have to have a last name starts with B in order to be your nominee. Oh, we're down to Bloomberg and Biden. All right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they, Buttigieg, you forgot. Oh, I forgot, oh, the you forgot about Buttigieg. But the, the point being is that these are organizations that are about money, self-preservation, and power. And yeah, I fully expect them to make whatever rules benefit them at any, whatever given time. I mean, the, the idea that people are shocked by it, I'm, I'm more surprised. Like, you... You do know that the DNC and the RNC, they're not government institutions, right? 
and that this is just a more formalized version of picking Spirit King. Do you think Michael Bloomberg wants to be on that stage February 19th? On the debate stage? On the debate stage. Yes, I do. Why? I think that Bloomberg being on the stage next to uh, uh, who the big uh, Biden, uh, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Buddha Judge, Wang, Yang. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> And by the way, I can't name any past that, Uh, that being on that stage with them uh, legitimizes him as being more than just a rich guy. He's doing just fine right now, just being a rich guy. And I wonder if he he wants that attention right now because he's been able to hide. You know what I mean? He's been able to control the narrative by carefully crafting his message in town hall meetings by spending a ton of cash in media yeah and media advertising advertising so he hasn't he hasn't really been challenged and he hasn't been out there competing necessarily one-on-one with these candidates you think if he shows up on that stage that people are going to shoot barbs at him no i just don't know if, if this is necessarily what he wants right here right now maybe if if the debate stage was you know the number of candidates rather had been narrowed down a little bit more uh-huh. that might work to his advantage um i'm not mad that he's on the stage i just don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that he actually wants to be there interesting All right well uh, listen apparently by the new rule change, if you will, that he will be there. And by his spokespeople and comments, uh, he will not be taking the high road. <laughs> and every time uh, Trump uh, uh, mocks him or makes fun of him, he apparently his uh, comedy speechwriters are ready to fire back. And get ready to hear this uh, countless numbers of times this year. I'll also be spending a lot of time here because the road to the White House runs right through Arizona. <laughs> Runs right through Las Cruces. Runs right through Sioux Falls. Yeah, that's what people want to hear. Um, The uh, Super Bowl, obviously, yesterday. Sorry, should I? Am I talking too loud for some of you still? (laughs) Sorry, the Super Bowl was yesterday. Why are you yelling at me? You're still in bed. You're listening to the radio. Um, But for some people, it has nothing to do with uh, foosball. And the uh, the halftime show is the thing that they watch. By the way, watch and get outraged over. St. James and Pamela Hughes. That's the, uh, the, the apparently the song. Shakira's Wherever, Whenever is the song that people are uh, have gravitated to. If you're looking at things like downloads and streaming, Pamela, that's the one that took the biggest jump yesterday. Yeah, and that's why artists perform halftime shows. Uh, they don't get paid to do it, no. but they know that their music is going you, to spike and they make money off of that. Do you think most people don't know they no, get probably paid? not. Because I hear like, why didn't the Super Bowl hire? Stop right there. The Super Bowl doesn't pay a nickel. As a matter of fact, the Super Bowl makes money off the halftime show because not only do they not pay. And I I found this. uh, There's a thing called Polestar. You can find out. Um, J-Lo and Shakira do about two million, one and a half million dollars a night on their tour. That's what they gross. Okay. So that's, if you want to think about it, that's what they gave up to do a free show, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you would, if you wanted to pay them to do it, that's what it would cost. Um, The Super Bowl also, by the way, as part of the agreement to let you do the halftime show, gets a cut of your sales in the 
period immediately after the Super Bowl. So Shakira has been killing it whenever, wherever. The the most downloaded song from that performance between both her and J Lo. Hips don't lie. The second another one, Shakira song. yeah, another Shakira song. So uh, halftime, yeah, I love the halftime show. I love the commercials. That's actually why I watched the Super Bowl last week. I couldn't tell you both teams that were playing in it. I'm there for the pure entertainment of it all. Even though it was a good game, because I mean, you got to stick around to watch the game if you want the commercials. It was a good game. I enjoyed it. But the halftime show, I'm sitting there with my 10 year old daughter, Riley, next to me as, you know, Shakira comes out and um, Riley knows Shakira from The Voice. Right. So she was a, a judge on The Voice for a while. I don't know her as a singer. No, I, I know her, I know her as a judge yeah. from The Voice. OK. And, and I know J-Lo from movies. She she recognized um, some of the um, some of the songs, you know, because they've been on the radio. But sure. She didn't know they were Shakira. And, and, and Shakira for me, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with Riley and she looked like she was, you know, Shakira was having fun. And we both agreed upon that. And then Shakira starts dancing the way Shakira dances, you know, like a belly dancer almost. And Riley's like, whoa, hey, what's, whoa, what's whoa, going on here? Hey. Mom, what is she doing? Oh, boy. And I'm like, well, that's kind of like her signature dance move. It is. And and I just kind of left it there. Her her hips don't lie. Riley goes, okay, okay. And then, you know what? uh, After Shakira was pretty much done for performing, you had this. And then out comes J-Lo wearing um, an interesting uh, costume. Yeah. Of which wasn't wasn't super bad, except for like the, as Riley called it, the nether region. That the she nether region barely had a bikini bottom this on. Fantastic. This is how my ten year old daughter reacts to it, and it's just kind of like puzzled by it all. As I'm sitting there, like don't quite know what to say about all of this, and then she changed into something even like less clothing and started dancing on a pole. Can, can I point? <laughs> I mean, how old do you think the song Jenny from the Block is? I, 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 okay, I don't know. 18 years old. Okay, yeah, Riley didn't know it. No, of course not. Yeah, the song could vote right now. The song could uh, vote if it was a, <laughs> if it was a, per- I, I, I always laugh at the idea that halftime shows are remotely relevant because they find people that haven't had hits, oh, I don't know, in this decade. Uh, JLo's barely had one since the tooth in the 2000s. But it was an interesting conversation as I'm watching this. It was a very sexy performance. And let me tell you, as uh, J-Lo is 50 and Shakira is in her 40s, I looked at them going, you go, girls. Like, you're killing it. And I need to go to the gym. But with my 10-year-old daughter there, uh, we just had interesting conversations. Mom, why are they wearing that? Why are they wearing wearing that? Mm. To which uh, my response was... You know, you're performing in front of a large crowd. They are uh, performers and they're performing in something that makes them feel good. And it's a costume. It is a costume. I just kind of left it at that. Like, I wasn't making it work. And she, she goes, Okay. All right. Good. I'd never wear that. And I'm like, oh, no, you you would not. Good for you. No, you would not. Now, last year, uh, it was Adam Levine. Yes, it was. Okay. You're proving my point. And Adam Levine took his shirt off. Yes, he did. And he is tattooed like a prison gang member. Okay. And I see rock star. You see prison moms gang Moms everywhere were like, hubba hubba. Oh, but I this saw, year, yeah. it's, this is an outrage. What are these women wearing? No, even last year, I do remember Adam Levine taking his shirt off. Because Riley what actually likes Adam Levine. You know why? Because she knows him from Again, The Voice. Again, he's on The Voice. We yeah. don't know him as a singer. I know him as, <laughs> And yeah. she didn't know he had all those tattoos. And yeah. she's like, why her, Why would somebody do that to their body? Good call. And, well, you know what? Everybody has choices as to what they 
wear and what they do to their body. Make good choices. Uh, you know, exactly. Make good choices. Um, I wasn't mad at it. I navigated it. But I do think that, like, if you were watching it as a guy, if you were watching it as a 40-year-old woman, and if you were watching it as a mother, you all had very different experiences. Yeah. I just can't think of you know, who... Uh... Could they have found more irrelevant artists for the halftime? Shakira had fun. That was the you my big as much fun as you want. I mean, she, no, but I mean, like she Mario had fun. Speedwagon was booked had, that weekend. You had J Lo who, who killed it. I'm not yeah. mad at, it, but like Shakira genuinely looked like she was having fun, and I'm a bigger J Lo fan, so Tom I Petty liked is it. Dead. He couldn't perform. Oh my god! Thought about him though. Stop, dude. Prop him up on stage. Are you suffering from impeachment fatigue? By the way, I already know the answer. That was rhetorical. You don't need to say it out loud. You're not alone talking about that next on Arizona's news station. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. <sighs> so this morning we already had what started around 9 o'clock our time. Um, closing arguments in the impeachment trial. You aren't watching. You aren't paying attention. We know that because nobody is. And for good reason. It is boring. <laughs> it is repetitive. Mm-hmm. And it is a foregone conclusion. We know. We've Des- seen this movie. We know how it ends. Despite all of the uh, uh, ideas of, well, there might be some drama, there has been no drama. There was the potential. There have been some potential moments. Well, there's a potential that the roof falls in there also. But the Not reality really. is that it's gone according to script, and it will continue to. And it's coming to a close. Yes, it's still going on, but I think there are some people that don't Maybe even realize that. you didn't know that, that right? Uh, but, it, but, but it's going to end soon. After Democrats failed to secure enough votes to include new witness testimony and documents in President Trump's impeachment trial, the Senate agreed to reconvene for both sides to deliver closing arguments. Each side will have two hours to argue their case before senators take to the floor to deliver speeches about the charges. In the Republican-controlled Senate, an acquittal of President Trump is all but certain and is expected to come one day after the president delivers his third State of the Union address. All right, so you're up to speed on that right so we now. Get, so all of the set, well, not all of them, the ones that want to, are going to get up and get to speechify as well, which will remind you just how not smart a lot of these people are. So on the first day of the impeachment trial, about 11 million people watched. By the end of the first week, it was like six and a half million. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, it's complicated. It, it really is. It's complicated. It's heady. You've it's got, not made for TV. It's, it isn't made for TV. And in today's day and age, people can get quick updates on their phones and quick updates on the radio. And so why are they going to invest in sitting down and watching the Senate trial when you already know how this is going to end? Right. It's just a... Uh... Uh, it is a political show, and it's not a very good one. Yeah, I mean, th- this, this country's already divided, okay? We also know that we're busy. We, we actually have lives, and, and it's too hard to pay such close attention to something where you get bored with the legal arguments, and most people are already convinced that the outcome has already been, you know, preordained. So tell me again, why am I going to watch? Yeah. Well, I mean, but you even have the actual senators themselves that aren't paying attention. And if they aren't paying attention, if they are breaking the rules, they're not supposed to leave their seat and stuff, and they're wandering around, going outside, holding press conferences in the middle of it. Well, that's how seriously they're taking it. Why should anyone else take it seriously? I think there is an argument behind that as well. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Uh, And you are hardly alone if you are 
fatigued by this, over it, sick of it. And I don't even think that makes a difference what political leaning you might be or where you see yourself on a on a timeline. I just think people are sick of it in general. Okay, but what's brought on the fatigue? Why are people so fatigued? Because I don't just think it is impeachment fatigue. I don't think it is just election fatigue. I think it is political fatigue fatigue. I think it's political (laughs) fatigue. Okay. so so why are we so tired of politics? Because when when I'm out and about and I'm talking to friends and I'm talking to, you know, know, members of my community and and I they know what I do for a living. And, you know, they'll ask questions and and the response I typically get. I'm so over it. I can't take any more of it. Like Mm. I'm done. And. It's because it is so divided. Nobody's listening to anyone. There isn't this uh, healthy discussion of like, oh, you see it that way. Well, I see it this way and learn from one another. And it is just political fatigue because it's extremely partisan. And I think that that's part of the problem. Politics in general are extremely partisan. And Mm -hmm. then you narrow it down to the political, you you narrow it down to election season. That's extremely partisan. And then you narrow it down even a little bit more just to the impeachment trial. And that is hyper partisan. And I think that people are just over it. And while we're over it, and and I genuinely believed initially that people would be a little bit more engaged Mm -hmm. in the Senate trial. That was my position and I was wrong, but I thought people would be more engaged. Um, what we're finding out is, even though we've gone through this exercise of an impeachment in, in the House and a Senate trial uh, for removal, which isn't going to happen, that vote's probably going to take place Wednesday, it appears as though none of this has really, truly hurt the president. Yeah, polling numbers haven't moved one way or the other. Uh, that, uh, In other words, nobody who heard evidence, testimony, or speechifying um, changed their opinion. Wherever you were at the beginning is where you are at the end. Right. So we, we now have some new polling numbers on this uh, NBC News, Washington, uh, Wall Street Journal poll. And pretty much pretty much wherever you were at the beginning of the impeachment process is where you are right now. Yeah. Forty six percent approve of the job the president is doing, while 51 percent disapprove. And that's been pretty consistent. And so our attitudes about the president have hardly budged. Yeah. So what does that mean? That. Okay, but what does that mean on the bigger scale? What does that mean come November? Well, so here's my question. You hear plenty of people who say that they are disappointed, don't like Trump in any way, shape, or form. Um, do you know anybody that's been drawn to him in the last couple of years? So is, is his tent getting bigger? Uh, who are the people who did not vote for him in 2016 that are looking forward to voting for him in 2020? Who are those people? I I don't know who they are. You, you say, OK, I, I, I get why you're saying that. But again, if you're Hil- looking Hillary voters that are voting Trump this time, who if, are they? If you're looking at these polling numbers. What you're actually seeing is that the president's polling numbers are the strongest we've seen in three years. So even as there's been some support for impeachment, that's been increasing. So has the approval rating of this president, which has been at some of the highest levels of his presidency. So apparently it has impacted some people. Well, keep in mind, one of the touts is that the approval rating inside the Republican Party, the percentages keep going up. I will point out. 
And I don't know a lot about math, Pamela. You know this. I know. We try not to do that on this show. The, the number of Republicans are shrinking, and the only people left to be counted as Republicans are those that supported Trump. So, yes, the percentage is going up if the numbers are shrinking. But if that is truly the case... There are fewer registered Republicans today than at any point. What does that mean for the president moving forward in this election cycle? If you were just to do like a really simple deduction of the obvious there, you'd say he's he's really vulnerable. He is... Uh, Still depends on who runs against him, doesn't it? But if, it, but if it's that, Bruce, if it's that and the R's are shrinking and the D's are growing, it shouldn't really depend. But I don't but, think the D's are necessarily growing that much. I think people are leaving the R's. They but ain't you going think the, the independents D's. are going to vote for Trump? No, I don't. No. So again, you would think that he is very vulnerable by that, but I don't think he's as vulnerable as just that simple deduction would allude how's, to. How's he growing the tent? Who's going to show up and vote for him that didn't vote for him last time? So forget about catching the cold. Rudeness apparently is more contagious than the common cold. Talking about it next. <laughs> KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. There's no amount of uh, hand sanitizer or a uh, face mask, Pamela, that will stop you from catching the rudeness, apparently. Rudeness. More contagious than the common cold. Yeah, we actually have folks that are researching this and studying it. And it's kind of interesting when you take a look at like incivility. Okay. And it appears as though it is spreading and it's spreading more rapidly. Yeah, we've always had rude people. Sure. People that don't hold the door, people that don't say, excuse me, people that don't say... You know, okay, that's your idea of rude. Cover their mouth. I don't think that that's necessarily rude. I think when I think of like people being rude, okay, wait a minute, we're gonna ratchet it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some behaviors out there that are just like unacceptable, and that rudeness is getting higher, and it's getting higher apparently in the workplace. Hmm. You're seeing that 98 percent of workers say that they've experienced some sort of like uncivil behavior, and that it's happening more and more. And more. Huh. Well, and and I think one of the arguments behind this, if I understand it, is that they believe that there is just a general coarsening. Do you uh, feel that? That it's um to a certain extent, yeah. To a certain extent. And and I think what's kind of frustrating is that the opposite isn't true. That you can't the antidote is not being polite and nice. Like that doesn't necessarily cure the rudeness. Do you know what I mean? Like, again, using my, you can't hold enough doors, say, excuse me, thank you. Boy, you look nice today to overcome people that come in and are, at least in your workplace, just sourpusses. And that it's okay to be that way. But it's contagious. Yeah. And then, well, because if one person's doing it, you feel a need to react in kind. We don't kill people with kindness anymore. We tweet mean things to them. Yeah, I don't buy that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, because I—that's not—that's not how I act. But I, I do think that 
there is this contagion that's going on that when somebody's allowed to behave one way and they're not checked on it, then it opens the doors for others sure, to behave sure. that way. We, I mean, the, the easy, low-hanging fruit analogy on this would just be politics, right? That, uh, you know, behaviors that once seemed so outlandish and you couldn't believe anybody saying things like that have now just are no longer even acknowledged because it is the new norm. I don't remember, and I maybe I just grew up in a time that, um, you, you like, you didn't discuss at work the same things you didn't discuss over the dinner table. Like, you didn't talk politics at work. We have to, but yeah, I think no, most no, no, people but, don't. But you right. know what I mean? In a normal place of business, like that's just it just wasn't a topic of discussion. You didn't come in on Monday morning ranting and raving about what ex-politician did over the weekend. Uh, you talked about the bleep and weather. Or the Super Bowl. <laughs> or the Super Bowl. Or the Super Bowl. But now and you didn't make that political. But but you know what? That halftime Super Bowl show was political, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, like we make everything political yeah, nowadays. I didn't see that. And and I think but I think what has happened with the the rudeness contagion is that it um it's something that we see so often. I think prior to social media, which social media can be used for both good and evil. Sure. Okay. But it has now given people the opportunity to say things publicly to people that they never would have uttered in public to their face back in the day. But now they sit behind a keyboard, they put it out there, and people read that and go, well, if they're behaving like that, that makes it okay. Or if someone's talking to me like that, that makes it okay for me to talk to this person like that. And you can see how that becomes acceptable and it becomes more of the norm. And I think that that's a bit of what we're seeing, whether it be on social media, whether it be in politics, or whether it be in your own office space. I do see some of that happening more so today than, say, five years ago. Yeah. I, I certainly can't deny that, that you see it. And I, I wonder if one of the factors as well is with the advent of things like social media, if you are, quote, friends, I'll use the term social media friends, or you follow coworkers, you find things out about them that you never knew. Right. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know and they does like it, And does that. it make you, See does it change your opinion or do you treat them or talk to them or don't talk to them uh, differently because of things you've seen them post where you're like, whoa, whoa, what? You, the person stands next to me and gets coffee? We talk about soccer practice? Really? I think that's part of it. Yeah, and I don't think it's just necessarily the workplace. I, I think that there's just, like you said, a, a, a general coarsening of society. Part of that comes from social media. Part of it is because, you know, you model the behavior that's out there right now. And right. it has become acceptable for people to say things that, you know, years ago you never would. You, and, and frankly, I would argue you still shouldn't should, say. You used to dress like the boss, you know, you mimic now. Now you, you act like, what, the worst employee in your building? Don't do that. Some of you, including students down at ASU, are worried that they're just flat not doing enough to keep the coronavirus from spreading. Okay, so what should they be doing? What can ASU do? We'll get some of your thoughts on that and talk about it coming up next after a check of all the headlines on Arizona's news station.